You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. I have spoken. Okay, you guys ready to kick some fear? All right. Yeah, I... Fear is like demonic worship. That's what it is. It doesn't come from God. And did you guys know that? That our original design and creation was not fear, it was love. Fear is a learned behavior. So we're going to kick some fear right now. So I want us all to stand up. Stand up. I want you to grab somebody's hand next to you. Yes. Yes, grab somebody's hand. And we're going to pray, okay? We're going to pray. Because I know what's going through your mind right now because it's going through everybody's mind. The whole coronavirus thing. I know, it is. But listen, church, I want to pray for that specifically. This is, why I'm, this is why we're doing this. Everybody, we're just going to join in together because that stuff cannot stand in the presence of God. So we just declare right now that the presence of God being released all over this planet right now destroys that virus, destroys the virus in Jesus' name. And we choose to be a people that will not walk in fear. We will walk in love. We will recognize that God is king over everything. Yeah. He is the healer. He's the savior. And we will not give in to fear. Yeah. Yes. Will you say that with me? I will not give in to fear. Can I say it again? I will not give in to fear. Amen? All right. Thank you. All right. All right. There's principles about things that we, we learn in scripture. And Job says... This is something to learn from. Job says, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. When you fear something, you make room for it to come in. Listen, church, listen. I see it. I see this happen all the time. Wisdom or fear is masquerading as wisdom all the time. It masquerades itself as wisdom all the time. So what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to give you principles of what it looks like. I'm saying, let's just check our hearts, okay? Let's check where we are and ask ourselves, am I living out of fear or am I living out of love? Because perfect love casts out fear. What would it look like if we, the people of of Jesus, would walk around with so much love inside of us that fear gets blown out of the water with everyone who meets us? I don't know. Just a thought. Because perfect love casts out fear. Just a thought. All right, is that helpful? That's message one. Now we're going to jump jump to message two. I started last week on a a series on the cross. I'm calling it the cross life. And I think there's a lot of redemption that needs to happen when it comes to understanding of what the cross really is. I... This week, I listened to a few messages that I could find from people I know or have heard of, just got on YouTube and listened to a number of messages that I could find on the subject of the cross. And I was... Honestly, I was just so saddened by it because there's so much 
misunderstanding about the cross and the way we view it, the way it's presented in the church. And so t- today what I'd like to do is just define it a little bit. Is that all right if we do that? Just really define the cross. Look at the heart of God behind it and what it's all about. It's actually a liberator. And I, and I want us to learn to mature and grow up as believers in understanding what the cross is all about, that we start to see our lives through it, that we start to see people through that lens of the cross because that point in history changed everything. Last week we started with that passage where Paul says, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Why not Jesus and him resurrected? Why not Jesus and him ascended? Why not Jesus and him glorified? He chooses crucified. Why? Because it's the crux of everything. It was the turning point in history. Everything changed in that moment. You guys remember when Christ died, the dead people came out of the grave? I mean, it it was rocking. I mean, literally, the place was rocking. It was shaking. Day turns to night. People who had died come out of the grave. And not just for a moment, they stay out of the grave. This, this point in time was so dramatic that it's even hard to, it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to put my, my mind around it, but I, I don't ever want to lose sight of living with the cross in mind. So critically important. So I've got a number of scriptures that we're gonna look at today because it really helps if we define it using scripture. Wouldn't you agree? So let's look at the first one here. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Here's Paul talking to the church at Corinth and he says this, for while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic, Jesus, the crucified Messiah. One topic, Jesus, the crucified Messiah. Of anyone who could boast about anything, it would have been Paul. He was trained under the best. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew everything there was to know about the law, but he didn't come saying, I understand the law. I got a revelation of Jesus. Let me show you how those those two things work together. He didn't show up to try to impress people. He even says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, of revelation. I didn't come to you like that. I came to you with simple speech so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but it would be in the power of God. Come on. We need a little bit more of that, don't we? It was the gospel he was preaching. Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. I don't know, I like that passage of scripture. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let me just suggest that if we're preaching a gospel and there's no power in it, we ought to question if it's really the gospel. That's what it says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the simple message of the cross of Jesus Christ that on that cross, all the sins of humanity, past, present, future, all the sickness and disease of humanity was placed on him, absolutely destroyed. And what we used to battle with, now we don't battle to try to get free from, we battle to keep it away from us. You see what I'm saying? We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. How many of you guys know that, have you ever like, when you were a kid, you like play with your friends and stuff and you play on a sand hill or a mound or anything like that? Anybody ever do that? Come on, you're playing outside and I don't know about where we lived, there was always like piles of dirt. There was construction going on around our house, there was piles of dirt. And a pile of dirt to a young kid is like game on, 
right? All you're going to do is you're going to find out who can get to the top and who can stay at the top. And how many of you know it's easier when you're at the top to defend it than it is to try to get up to it? It's the same thing with Christianity. We're at the top and we're defending that position. We're not trying to get up to it. Come on, I'm hoping this is helping somebody this morning. We're not trying to fight for something. We're fighting from something. And if I lose sight of the cross and everything that I'm looking at, I'm going to spend my life trying to fight for something that I already have. Let me suggest to you that Satan loves it when you do that. He loves to sit and watch you fight for something that you already have. It just messes us up. And, And if we don't keep the cross in front of us, we will do the same thing. I think there's a lot of things that Christ has done for us through the cross that we in the church still don't recognize. We take what should be finished work, what should be actual, this is what I have because of the work of the cross. We take that and say, oh, someday I'm gonna be able to have that. And we call it hope. And we pat ourselves on the back saying, I'm living in hope. No, man, you're living in, you're, you're living in, in like deception. If I'm hoping for something that exists already, it's just deception. Is this starting to come together? We need to keep the cross in front of us all the time. Now, there's a challenge to this because whenever somebody usually talks about the cross and even some of the messages I was listening to this week, just trying to get perspective on this and was really just saddened by it, was saddened by how many people look at the cross and they create a culture and an atmosphere of restriction, of doom, of death, of denial yourself. Yes, it's still true today. I get it. Jesus said that. But the self you're denying is your own intellect, thinking that you've got something. You have to come back to what Jesus is saying. That's the denial of self. And it puts us in a position of like, even some of the things I've heard, it's like God revealing himself in his wrath and his anger. Can we just blow some things out of the water for a minute? The wrath of God is real. We would all agree, right? You can see it all throughout scripture. But the wrath of God is not the polar opposite of his love. It is a fiery hot extension of his love. We don't have a bipolar duplicitous God. We don't. But sometimes our ch- the church creates that understanding about him. Oh, you better be careful, that wrath of God. Read it. Find out what the wrath was against. Romans says that, that the wrath of God was poured out against what? All unrighteousness of men, not on man. The wrath of God was poured out on all the unrighteousness of men. Where did that unrighteousness and all that sin, where did it get piled on? Jesus, Jesus. right. And by the way, Jesus was not God's whipping boy. That one I heard too. You've ever heard that too? That pleased God to beat him up. Yes, we use that Isaiah passage. That is, God was in Christ the entire time. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And it's all in the same context where it says, he who knew no sin became sin. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I just feel like we need to bust some other things out of the water here. How many of you have heard this before? Oh, when, when Christ died and all the sin and sickness was placed on him, he had, God had to turn his face away. Okay, I'm going to give you guys the next year to find that in scripture and come talk to me about it. Go find it. You can't. It's not in there. Well, Andrew, what about that passage where he he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. It's a messianic psalm. 
when he said that, it wasn't like he was just saying that passage. In that culture, especially in that culture where the Messiah was at the top of everything, I mean, understand, Jesus was walking around saying, I am the son of God, right? So everybody was looking for the Messiah. Everybody had this heightened sense, what's gonna happen with Jesus? What's gonna happen? We wanna see, is he really the Messiah? And he on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we use that to create a theology that somehow God turned his face away or God could have nothing to do with it, which is completely untrue. When he said that, everybody there would have known the entire context of Psalm 22. It would have been like pop culture. You know, if somebody gives you the lyric of a song, you know the whole song, right? You, all you need to hear is the first line and you really know the whole song, all right? Yes. It's like that. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Read the whole passage of scripture. Everything that happens in that psalm was happening to him in the moment. My bones are all separating. I can see them. The evil people have surrounded me. It says, they cast lots for my garments. All of that stuff was happening. It was prophesied through David years before that. And it gets to verse 24 and it says, but you have not forsaken me. You are with me. What? You see what I'm saying? See, these, see how we create these theologies that somehow we have a duplicitous God. We have this wrath that he's bipolar over here. And we need to be careful because the wrath of God, listen, the wrath of God was poured out on unrighteousness. Now, what do you, we, and I stand as? Righteous. It's humbling. It's humbling to think that this righteousness that I stand in has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what he's done, with what he's done. But if I lose sight of the cross and I don't keep that in front of me, I'm gonna slip into this worldly humanistic thinking that says somehow I'm gonna do something to clean myself up, something to get myself more holy, something to get myself more righteous so that God will love me. Listen, the problems you had with your earthly father do not reflect your heavenly father. The problems you had with your earthly family do not define the heavenly family. Hello? I'm not sure you're with me this morning. Half of you are. Let's look at some more, let's look at some more scripture here. Let's go with that. 1 Corinthians 1.18. To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it's the mighty power of God released within us. Actually, that, that phrase could be said like this. In Aramaic, it has two different meanings. But to us who are on our way to salvation, he is that power of God released within us. He is, not it. He is. I don't know. That's good stuff right there. Here's what I've discovered though, that if we're really gonna define the cross, we gotta recognize that the cross is offensive. Did you know that? It's offensive. We're gonna discover here. It's offensive. It bothers people. It bothers the intellect because the intellect can't comprehend it. Are you, you mean to tell me that my whole nature was sin riddled? That I was at enmity with God in my mind? that I was the one that had walked, you're telling me that, and then Jesus says, you know, I'm gonna take all that stuff. I'm gonna recreate man through, through myself that will be born again. He takes it all, you mean to tell me that Jesus did all that and I didn't have to do anything? Yes, yes. That's where it gets offensive. 
1 Corinthians 1.23 says this, but we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. Another one, Galatians 5.11. Dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? Here's Paul talking to the Galatians. Is it because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of Judaism? Not at all. Is there no longer any offense over the cross? That first passage I read of 1 Corinthians one twenty-three. the word stumble is the same word as seen here, offense in this passage. Here's another one where the same word is used. 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8. As believers, you know his great worth. Indeed, his preciousness is imparted to you. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected and discarded has now become the cornerstone and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock or an offense to trip over. Now, what I want to do is take a look at that word there. So we're seeing it, right? The cross is an offense. It stands in total opposition to human logic. That word there, offense, is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. And it was used, this is interesting, it was used to describe this right here. Listen. The movable stick or the trigger of a trap. That's weird, isn't it? And it's translated as offense. It's a movable stick or a trigger. It gives a whole new meaning to the word when you hear somebody say, ooh, they got triggered. They got offended, right? It's the little stick. If it's used in a, now I've seen this before, you know, I never did this, but I used to watch these things as a kid where where people would go out in the woods and make traps out of like branches, bend them over, tie a string to it, put a stick in there, and it was the tiny little stick. That was the trigger. All all you had to do was touch it, and the snare would, would catch whatever's in it. That's the word that's used. I find that fascinating. Scandalon. It means a stick. I think we have sticks in our life. I think all of us have little sticks in our life, Right? Yeah, I don't know. What are you talking about, Andrew? I'll tell you, the things that make you go bam like that, that's a stick. I've got some. Thank God over the last couple of years, God's been really revealing what they look like and why they're there. And I'm starting to recognize that those things can be disassembled and I can live trigger-free, Right? We can't live trigger-free, but it triggers us. It triggers our sense of normal, our sense of reality. That's what it does. The word scandalon, I think it's interesting. Here's another, the, the word scandalon obviously means scandal. It's where we get the word scandal. Defined as action or event that offends common or established moral conceptions. That's the word scandal. We hear it all the time. Actions or events that offends common or established moral conceptions. What is scandal associated with? Secrets revealed, embarrassment, right? When you think about it, right? In the political season that we're in right now, somebody, usually the opposition, wants to find some kind of scandal. That way they can expose it, right? Secrets revealed, humiliation, and embarrassment. That's what it's about. Hmm. The cross 
should be something that constantly reveals that in our own lives. I said it last week. The word of God that's living and active, Hebrew says, the word of God that's living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit. We tend to use that thing towards people. Well, that doctrine's wrong. Well, that person's wrong. That's heresy. That sword that is sharper and it divides, that's meant to be pushed this way. That's meant to go inside. Come on, are you seeing what I'm doing here? It's meant to go inside first. Maybe if we start doing it with this first and dividing what's going on inside, learning what's happening within us, then we might have something to say. Remember when, when David was called out, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, yeah, here's what you've done with Bathsheba and her husband. He, Psalm 51 is written as a response to what happened with Nathan the prophet going to David and exposing him for what he had done. And he makes this statement in there. And he says this, behold, you have desired truth in the inward parts. This is his psalm of repentance. He's coming back and he's just saying, I am getting this thing. I see what I've done. And he says, he makes that statement, you desire truth in the inward parts. Isn't that weird? What is he talking about there? It's not truth as a concept that lives out there. It's the reality of who he is and who I am understood inside. And it's only through the cross do we come to that recognition. Right? How many in here are saints? Everybody raise your hand. Yeah. How many in here are saints? Yeah. How many of you, if you're being honest, do you have a hard time with that? I do. I do. I can think of all kinds of things yesterday and the day before that would, I could prove that I'm not a saint. Aren't you glad I'm not defined by my actions? I'm defined by his. I'm not defined by my actions. I'm defined by his. Hmm. Some might see the preaching of the cross as a place of sacrifice or a loathsome place where religion is going to make me miserable. Come on, have you heard that before? You're all about the cross. When you start talking, I'm going to be miserable. This is my life. This is my cross to bear. Have you ever heard that one before? This is just my cross. I can't stand that language. It's like, if it's your cross to bear, then what did Jesus do? Did he leave that out? Did he leave that out and say, now you do it? That would be, that's ridiculous. This is just my cross to bear. It's some kind of, I'm going to take away all the joy in your life, and this is how you're going to live, this doldrum bent over thing like this the rest of my life. Does that sound like fun? Does this sound attractive to you? Have you ever seen somebody that lives like that, and you're like, man, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> they are so depressed and sad. That looks awesome. i got to have some of that. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to live like that. The fact is that the cross was... Jesus nailed to the cross, taking the sin and sickness of the world. Oh, and by the way, guess who else was there on the cross with him? You and I. Yep, you and I. The cross is meant to be a liberator. It's meant to be a place where it brings life into us. But I can't live like that if I'm seeing myself as I know the right thing to say as a saint, but I don't see it and I don't really believe it. What we're doing is we're moving the cross away from our lens and we're not looking at life. We're not looking at ourselves accurately anymore. Come on, is that good? Mm. The cross is not about pouring on guilt. The cross is the message that the guilt has forever been shut up and destroyed. Yeah. Guilt is not your friend. Yeah. 
shame is not your friend. Romans 8 tells us that. Therefore, there is no, what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? Romans 8 says that. We turn it into a like, well, if I do this, then. Because it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then we start to say, well, I need to make sure I'm in Christ. Right? (laughs) Slipping back into works again. It sounds like that, the way it's written. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? You better check yourself. How did you get in in the first place? It wasn't because of anything you did. (laughs) There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How many like to live condemnation free? Yeah, me too. You know, John 3.18, I know I've mentioned this before. We know John 3.16 really well. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting, eternal life, right? But do we know what John 3.18 says? That whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Where does condemnation come from then? Unbelief. If I don't believe that the work of the cross has cleansed me, justified me, and set me right, if I don't believe that, I'm going to live under condemnation. Come on, is this helping you? We all have places where we have condemnation in our life, right? Please tell me I'm not the only one. I'm serious. Are there places in your life, can we just get real, man? Are there places in your life where you feel, when you think about it, you feel condemnation, you feel shame, you feel guilt? Dude, I can go there in two seconds. It takes me like that long to go to that. I can just, all I have to do is start thinking about my past and I can cringe at that stuff. But what is that revealing? That's revealing that I don't believe the work of Christ has absolutely absolved me of that. Come on, I hope this is helping. Come on. (laughs) Even if I sin, even if I sin, in the future, it still does not bring condemnation because it's not from God, right? He still sees me as righteous. Now, people will hear me say something like that and go, oh, you're condoning sin. You can go sin all you want. I am not. Everybody hear that? Podcast, you hear that? I am not. I am not saying that. The devil wants to keep us in shame, guilt, and condemnation. The cross forever shut the mouth of guilt. It shut it up and said, no more, no more. You're absolutely clean. You're absolutely righteous. There's good news in it. Well, I don't know why we've turned the cross into bad news. I don't know why, but the cross is absolutely perfect good news. You ready to hear something about it? Galatians 5.24. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. Come on. Maybe we need to just meditate on that a little while. Come on. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, do you belong to Jesus? See, now again, our, our natural earthly humanistic mind will read that and say, well, I need to check to make sure I belong. You see, see how it works? The devil can use scripture against you. You know that, right? He tried it with Jesus, right? Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. If I lose sight of the cross, then I lose sight of that and I don't get it. Yeah. 
I don't understand it. And it's impossible for, impossible for me to live like that. Is it okay if I say it's already done? There's a reason why Jesus cried out, it's partially finished. Oh, I don't think he said that. It is finished. Oh, and by the way, even that statement, you find it in Psalm 22 at the end. The entire thing's about the crucifixion. You even find that in there. It is finished. It's already done. Put your hand over your heart. Say, I have been crucified. It is finished. Now, doesn't that feel good? Uh, I, I don't know how to make this come out of myself, guys. I, my insides are boiling with this. I, I get so, so angry when I see the church still, still dealing with this thing where I still feel like I, I'm not dead yet or I'm walking in condemnation and, and guilt and shame and fear. I can't stand it. It breaks my heart. It hurts. And I, oh, I just can't stand it. I just, I have this vision in my mind of what it looks like to see the bride of Christ actually walk around like the bride of Christ. What would it look like? What would it look like if we absolutely just believe this right here? Are there places in my life I need to grow? Absolutely. We're walking into that as we're dealing with this subject right here of the cross. We're going to talk about maturity and what that looks like. Can I just give you a little teaser on that? You can prophesy all you want. You can prophesy with accuracy that will blow people's minds. You can see people get healed. You can speak in tongues. You can interpret tongues. You can have discerning of spirits. You can have all that stuff and not be mature. You know that, right? It has nothing to do with maturity because all of that stuff is a gift. And the minute you have to earn it, it is no longer a gift. But the word clearly says charismata. It is a gift to you. You can walk in that. But listen, church, but we all need to grow up. Gifts, gifts are free. Maturity will cost you. I'm just suggesting in this process that the first step to maturity isn't jumping on that, that treadmill of man-made religion. That's not where maturity happens. Maturity happens when you keep the cross in front of you. You see who you are. You believe it. You live from that standpoint. And all of a sudden, heaven backs you up because you're believing it. Come on, Andrew. That's good. I like that. Either, either you're totally baffled right now or you're asleep. I don't know. Is this helping you at all? The good news, listen, the good news of the gospel, it's way better than you think. It's so good, it's a scandal. It's so good, it's offensive. We need to let that thing work inside of us. Find places where it offends you. You can't really learn and mature until you live a life where you're constantly being offended. Why? Because when it offends you, it shows you what's going on on the inside. God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. He will offend the mind to reveal the heart. Even when I read scripture, are there passages of scripture that you like to avoid because you just don't understand it? I got them. I got them. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with them. But when I do read them and I don't withhold them because there's, there's gems, there's gold inside of it. And I don't fully understand it, but I need to be able to read that and let it offend my mind. I'm starting to discover that for the new covenant church, for who we are, we're not letting passages like that offend us enough. The more that offends me, the more reveals what's going on inside of me that's humanistic. 
this man-made, it's religion. I need to let that offend me. I need to let it offend me so I can find out what it is. Maybe it would be good to do this. Can I give you some practicals? Take a passage like that, Galatians 5, 24. Read it in multiple translations. I have a 26 translation New Testament. I look in all the time. It's all in one book. 26 different translations. And I'll look at it and I'll read the different translations because I want to capture the fullness of it. And how many of you know there is no direct translation? Right? Paul did not speak King James. Right? (laughs) Okay. There is no perfect, all of them are paraphrased. They have to be because there's no way to translate Greek into, it wouldn't make sense if you just translated it word for word. Verb tenses in Greek that don't even exist in ours, in our language. So we need to have an understanding of what this looks like. Take that stuff, meditate on it, pray through it. Say, Holy Spirit, why don't you just reveal to me places in my life where I don't believe that completely? And then he'll start showing you stuff. He'll start showing you stuff about the way you talk, about the way you act, just simply because you don't believe it. The way you act around people, come on. You want to see performance mentality crushed? Start living with that in front of you. I don't need to make myself look good for anybody. You hear, you hear that? That's not a, I'll do whatever I want. That's a, I'm living in such confidence with this right here that I don't really have a concern about what people think about me anymore. It's what Paul was saying. I don't care what you think about me. I'm consumed with one thing. It's the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say about me. He even goes further on to say, those people who think that they're something and say that I'm nothing, when we get together, let's see what happens. Let's see through the power that's demonstrated through me. Does that sound arrogant? It's not arrogant. It's actually believing the truth. What would that look like if we had that, where we could walk into situations and say, wait, watch, watch what happens here. Because I know who I am and I know who Christ is inside of me. Watch what happens here. I'm recognizing that on a personal level. I'll give you an example of it. Um, was it last week, week before last? I had gone into Publix. And I'm even more and more living in a place where like every cast, every cane, every wheelchair is an open target. And I chuckled the other day because I was in Publix and I'm, as I'm walking down the aisle, I see a man, he didn't appear to be that old, he meant but 40s maybe? He's walking with an oxygen tank and the tubes around in his nose. He's walking around with an oxygen tank and on his shirt it said, Jesus is king. And I, I, I felt it in the moment because, you know, I love doing that. I love talking to people and I love praying for people. I love bringing encounters to people. But it was just like the humor of God just giving me that and saying, see, he actually believes this. He's wearing it. He actually believes this. So I go up to him and I'm thinking, this is going to be easy. Jesus is king, right? Can I pray for you? No, get away from me. <laughs> Kid you not which I pray for them anyway, they just don't know it. (laughs) Right? I'm I'm seeing this going, this is going to be an easy one right here. Jesus is king. Couldn't believe it. It's like this, God dropped this in my lap. No, don't pray for me. Get away. And I I walked away from that going, that's how the bulk of the church lives right there. We get so comfortable with what's wrong with us. And we think we deserve it. 
We think that somehow this is normal, that this is, Christi- this is my cross to bear. We think it's some kind of normal thing, and I'm like, God, help us. God, help us. That is not my identity. It's so weird in the church. I talk about getting rid of people's shame and guilt, talk about getting rid of condemnation, talk about releasing joy, talk about the joy of the Lord in his presence, talk about what that looks like, the absolute euphoric state that we live in as Christians if we would just understand it. I start talking about that stuff and people get mad and they say, well, don't you take away my depression? Don't you take away my, take away my condemnation? It's kind of like the guy that I saw in Publix. Like, don't you take away my pain. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is how I live. Here's the problem. We think that we have to fully comprehend something in order to have it. We don't need to comprehend it. We need to apprehend it. If I had a football here and I were to throw it to the back of the room, David, you catch the football. He's got it. It's like this. You can apprehend the football, but you can't comprehend it. Comprehending it would mean you could get your hands completely around it, but you can't. Does that make sense? Does this give you a picture that makes sense? He can touch all sides of it, but at one point he can't comprehend the entire thing. He can apprehend it. He can hold it. It's kind of like that when we find passages like this about the cross and what it means for us. I don't fully comprehend it, but I can apprehend it. And to the degree that I do apprehend it, I need to live with that. And I need to be okay with it. I need to just walk in it. Galatians 6.14, here's another one. My only boast is in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, our Messiah. In him, I've been crucified to the natural realm, and the natural realm is dead to me. No longer dominates my life. Now, how many have heard that one? And we're told, okay, you need to get rid of, uh, don't play golf anymore because that's the natural world. Don't do that anymore. Don't, don't, do the, don't go hiking. You know, you know what I'm saying? You throw whatever you want in there because you're dead to the world. It's like, get rid of all that stuff. And I'm like, when are we gonna learn that that's part of the enjoyment of God? You know, and the minute I start living in that rule kind of thing, well, don't do this, don't do this right there. I'm, I'm losing the picture of the cross right in front of me. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm dead to the world. In other words, that whole way of logic doesn't even affect me anymore. I'm seeing so much what heaven sees right now. God, I want to live like that. Yeah, New King James version of that says this, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, when I say that, how many of you heard it before? How many of you have been under some kind of impression that you need to go crucify your flesh? Right? Good luck. Good luck. If you've already been crucified, how do you need to crucify your flesh? Jesus was flesh. He got crucified in the flesh. Paul's talking about living by the Spirit. I think it's fantastic. In the story of Jesus, when he died, he gave up his body. You know what happened at that point? His spirit goes down into hell, grabs people, grabs the keys to death, hell, and the grave and comes back out. And then he rises again and he's back in his physical body. I love that picture because if we're ever gonna live like that where we're living free from death, hell, and the grave, it has to happen in the spirit, not in the flesh. Does that make sense? It's gotta happen in the spirit. Romans 8 says, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. We hear that and we think, oh man, I need to start putting to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Need to start doing it. How do I do that? Okay. Need to start putting to death the deed to the flesh. All right, this is what I do in the flesh. I need to put that to death. It says, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Here's the best way to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Go to Jesus and sink into him. And just enjoy him. And then all the revelation comes from that place. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say amen to that. I'm going to leave this with you. Okay, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. This is the last one. This is so good. This is so good. I'm going to give you a victory song right now, okay? I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read it. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified and they put the sign over him that said King of the Jews? And the Jews hated it. They were saying, no, you're supposed to say he says he was the King of the Jews. Pilate writes back, or he says back to him, I've written what I've written. In other words, that public display, that was the public display right there. It was the cross itself. It so humiliated the demonic realm, made a public spectacle of them. It gets better. Look at this. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, there it is again, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Come on. Are you seeing the backward kingdom stuff on this? The cross, crucified, dying, and in that, he's taking the demonic realm and he's saying, gotcha. Gotcha. I've heard someone say this before. If... If the demonic realm knew what crucifying Jesus would, was doing, they would have tried to have killed everybody who was trying to crucify Jesus. But they didn't know. They think they're winning by crucifying him, and the sign that says, King of the Jews, his body, Psalm 22, the whole thing is happening right in front of him, and he's going, gotcha. Come on, doesn't that move you? And for me to live contrary to that, to me, for me to live and not believe this right here, it, essentially it's spitting on the work of the cross. It's saying that wasn't enough. Really? What else are you going to do? This is the scandal. This is the offense of the entire thing. You got nothing, Jack. You and I got nothing to bring to the table here. All I can bring to the table is, thank you, I believe. I believe. And, and I know, Holy Spirit, there are places in my life where I don't believe. Help me believe. Help me believe. I don't believe to get out of hell. I believe to see transformation. Who want to see transformation in their life? Listen, guys, I'm telling you, from a new covenant perspective, if we really want to see change and transformation in our life, we need to get off the treadmill of man-made religion. We need to sit with Jesus, be honest, and say, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm living like this because honestly, it comes down to something I don't believe about you. I don't believe this area to be true about you. Christianity, most of us, we say, I believe in Jesus, so we get out of hell and we don't let it work any deeper and keep realizing, I got it. There's always gonna be areas of unbelief in my life. There's always, what do I do? You take the cross, you hold it up there, you look through it. Look through it into a mirror and let it come back. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Corinthians says, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What do you, what do you see when you look in a mirror? It's not a trick question. What do you see when you look in the mirror? You see yourself. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Do you see the glory of God on you when you look at yourself? This is looking through the cross. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed from glory to glory. It all has to have that perspective. Church, I'm hoping this is helping. Man, I just, there's something inside of me that's just burning with this. I don't know that it's coming out exactly right, but I want to see the church set free. I want to see them set free from these lies that we believe, that Satan keeps coming back, telling us to put something into a future that exists right now and say, I'm going to live in hope and pat ourselves on the back and saying, I'm living the good Christian life. Let's stop believing the lie. Let's get a hold of what has been made accessible to us right now. Love this. Love this. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and the principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He's not their prisoner. They were his. Come on. Ah, Everybody stand up with me here. I'm just going to pray for you again. I'm going to keep going with this series until it comes out right. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> okay. We're going to start moving into maturity as we keep the cross in front of us, living the cross life. We're going to look like what maturity looks like. And I think, just to whet your appetite a little bit, I think really one of the best marks of Christian maturity, you ready for it? Joy. It's joy. True joy. True, real joy. The joy of the Lord that just looks at every circumstance and goes, good circumstance, bad circumstance. Joy of the Lord never changes. That's what true maturity looks like. Father, help us with this. Help us with this. Holy Spirit, I can't do it. The word says, Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I think that's funny. Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Holy Spirit, who is Jesus, is guiding you into himself. <laughs> yeah, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to understand this, Lord God. We're choosing, we're choosing to meditate on the cross and what it really means. We're choosing to hold on to these passages of scripture and say, God, offend my mind. Offend my mind. Reveal what's in there, places where I don't believe. Listen, church, I believe he's gonna start showing you things that are patterns in your life that have just been like, look normal, that have looked normal to you for so long. And Holy Spirit's gonna start to reveal to you that that is a place of unbelief. I want that. God, I want that. Help me in my unbelief. (laughs) 
Lord, I want to believe it. I want to believe all of this stuff, Lord. So start to offend my mind. Show me where I'm living under my own works mentality. Show me what it really looks like, Lord God. I choose you and I choose to believe you. Listen, church, you're going to discover that believing Jesus is risky. It's really risky. But it will change your life. And I ask you, and I saw the hands, you want it anyway. So God, come and do it. Amen? Amen. All right, Lord, bless you all. We're going to have teams up here for prayer. Um, guys, I, if last week, how many were here last week? I could not believe the response of what happened last week. I, I didn't even know it, but we were here an hour and a half, Jay told me. Um, I'm, I'm, but I'm hearing testimonies of breakthrough that's happening. And I'm so glad to hear that. I am so glad. I'm so thankful to hear that. Keep it up. If you want to encourage me a little bit, maybe come tell me what's going on with you with that. I, I, I want to live like that. I want to be a people that live like that constantly with the expectancy that transformation can happen. Amen. All right. The Lord bless you guys. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life. 